This week on the Recruitment Flex, LinkedIn adds a, air quotes, diversity nudge. Nasty responses to your rejection emails. How do you handle it? What has been the impact of Colorado's pay transparency law? And are you guilty of some bad interviewing habits? Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Hey now. Should I retire that, Shelly? No, please. <laughs> Should we go back it's to our cringy. normal? It's cringy, man. I love it. That's why it's so cringy. Because it's cringy? Oh, yeah. You remember oh. when you would open and you would be like, Hello? Hello? Is there anyone there? That was cringy. But anyways, welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge and joined by my co-host just returning from Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. How's it going, (laughs) Shelly? It's going great. Do you know what is the difference between whiskey and bourbon? Do you know what the difference is? I have no clue. Right. So they are obsessed with bourbon down there. Everything's bourbon. So. Obviously, I was thinking of our friends over at the Chat and Cheese podcast. And so started interviewing the locals. Can somebody please tell me what is the difference? Apparently, it is the water. In Kentucky, I think there are 20 different distilleries of bourbon, and they all use water from a specific stream or place or river. And apparently that's what makes the difference. So I'm going to test that theory out. And I'm sorry, a little bit of a spoiler alert, Serge, but I brought back what is considered to be the top three and we're going to have to have a taste testing. I don't think it tastes great. Do you like the taste of it? No, no. All of it. It's disgusting. (laughs) Well, I I snuggled back three bottles. So I was going to ask you, because the last time I went to Nashville, we took the trip down to, I forget what the town is called, Williamsburg, maybe. I might be completely wrong, where the Jack Daniels uh, distillery is, uh, which was fascinating. It was a great experience. It was top notch, like how they actually distill. Is it whiskey, Jack Daniels? I think it is. It, it is tells you how much I know about alcohol. I don't know that much. It is but whiskey. What, yeah. Okay, okay. What I found the most interesting in where they actually make Jack Daniels, it's a dry county. I think they have an exception for the distillery for testing, but there's no liquor stores. You can't buy any liquor in that particular county, which I'm like, what is this? The U.S. I've always thought have been 40 years behind with some of the elements, but this Mm. is like hundreds of years behind. There's still dry counties, which- Yes. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Crazy. Yeah. But you had a good time overall. You party. Yes. Oh my God. We had so much fun because we rented a car this time. And it's so easy to find your way around there. Honestly, we bombed from one end of the city to the other. And we did a little tour of record stores. Yes. Because there's a real resurgence of vinyl. And Nashville is known for these really cool, out of the way, funky record stores. We went to Third Man Records. And it's owned by Jack White from the White Stripes. Okay. And it has its own recording studio. And they also have their own record press. Yeah. Everything worked out. The concert was fantastic. And the Red Hot Chili Peppers were staying in the same hotel that we were staying in. Brooklyn jokes that that she's going to marry Anthony Kiedis someday, but. Well, maybe she will. <laughs> you never know. And she had her shot. So. There. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, but talking about Brooklyn, a lot of our listeners uh, are got good news. Waiting patiently. To okay, know what the okay. Update. Tell me the updates. Listen, here's the wonderful news. Brooklyn got a job offer, and she has accepted that job offer, and she will be a hostess and busing person at a restaurant. The restaurant is called Double Zero, and she's really excited. Yeah. I have some questions around that. Oh, so, okay. Congratulations cool. to Brooklyn. Very exciting. You did tell me where she got the job. Double Zero is a great pizza place. I think I've gone a couple of times. Really good. It's a Chinook Mall. It's more in the center of the city. But I went to visit Shelly, I don't know, three weeks ago, a month ago. Yeah. And she lives next to the second biggest mall in, <laughs> in the city. In the city, right? Yeah, like right next true. door. She even put in her resume and write in her cover letter and in her application, I am available and very short notice because I live across the street. So if somebody doesn't call in for their shift, I'm willing to come. She applied to not all the stores. I mean, the ones where she's interested in their product. She did get a couple of interviews as anybody who's following the story knows, but no offer because we're also very close to the train station. So for her to go work her $15 an hour shift, she's willing to take a 40 minute train ride. Well, good for her, but I just think it's a missed opportunity for people that are at market mall. They should have hired her and jumped at her because I manage retail stores early in my career. Mm -hmm. And I would always hope that people live close to cover those shifts, the reliability of them showing up on time, not relying on transport. So missed opportunity. Traffic can never be an excuse. Yes. If you want somebody reliable, hire somebody who lives in the neighborhood. A hundred percent. We're going to go to lunch one of these days when Brooklyn is working. Like you're probably the perfect customer for your yeah. daughter because you are a Karen at restaurants. So I can just see I that. Not. That's- My best friend's daughter is as a server and we went, sat in her section. I gave her a $50 tip. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. 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 Well, you throw money like it's, it's nothing. <laughs> so I'm not surprised by that. I am overtly generous. You are very generous. To the people I love. Yes. Okay. Good. So speaking of not getting much love, our first topic here. Well, before we jump into that, I do want to talk about something else. I want to give a shout out to James Ellis because I got my employer brand labs t-shirt and I love it. I got one, but Shelly didn't get one. So, hey, Shelly, I guess we know that James Ellis is a bigger fan of Surge than Shelly. So sorry to break it to you. Well, I get it. I think it's this bromance that the two of you must be having. I, I understand. And I'll try not to take it too personally, but just so you know, James, I won't hold it against you. It's a perfect shirt. So thank you, James Ellis. Love you too, buddy. Too bad about Shelly. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Let's move on to the first topic. Okay. We were talking about who loves you, who doesn't love you. And I just had someone very close to me get the most nasty response to their rejection email. If somebody's applied for your job and they're not qualified or whatever, or you're just not going to be moving forward with them. I know we always say, ideally, if you've met with them in person, you owe them a phone call. But unfortunately, this is like a super small company and it's all hands on deck. Sent the candidate a thank you, but we've decided to go with someone else. And the response was so nasty, so foul. I know we've got an E-rating, but I wouldn't even say it. And I think all of us live in fear of candidates having this vile reaction to being rejected. And I know we've got 101 stories, 
but I wanted us to chat a little bit about, first of all, as recruiters, how should we handle it? But secondly, is there a better way to send, you know, somebody applied, they're not qualified, a rejection email that just clearly states that you're not being considered for this role, but good luck in the future. Because even that garners some really wild responses. And, And it's a template, right? And the candidate comes back and goes, well, this is heartbreaking. Why do you have to give me all this false hope? And I'm like, what? Did you read the email? All it said was, good luck. Sorry for the bad news. I don't know. Well, one thing I want to be clear here is I don't think we should stop rejecting candidates because it's such a small portion. And I've sent thousands of rejection emails and I maybe have received 10 that have been outright, like just vile. I've had very similar ones to you being like, I just don't understand. I have all the qualifications and that's a different conversation, right? Because- So do you respond to that? I know when somebody says, for my own benefit, I believed that I met all the qualifications. Do you respond to that? I do. There's one simple thing that I always respond with it because I never want to go into what the person is lacking. We usually hire people because of what that person has additionally, right? You're probably right that your skill set fit exactly what we're looking for. But also there was a candidate that was just a step above with this particular experience or whatever case. I don't go with specifics, but I always put it that you were great. There was just someone better. And there will always be someone better in whatever you do in life. So that one is a lot easier, in my opinion, for people to mm-hmm. kind of gather. Because if you start going down that rabbit hole of actually giving feedback of why they weren't qualified, that's a vicious rabbit hole to go down. And it's the reason that I do not provide personal feedback on why a person did not get a role. I always go to, look, your skill set, this is a reason you went to the final step, but there was just someone just a step above that we found would be a better fit and match for the roles. Yes, you can be qualified for everything, right? Like I'm qualified to be a podcaster, but does it mean that there's a million better podcasters out there? If we were having a competition about podcasts, there's nobody better than you. No, I I know, but I'm just saying. I I know. (laughs) This is one of those hot topics that I know you've got a very strong opinion. When we had Kim Wilkinson on the show, she feels the total opposite. In fact, she built her business around offering feedback to candidates to help them in their job search. You're right. It's like one one in maybe 3,000 will come back with something that is foul or obscene. You just realize that that you just dodged a bullet. Oh, you know? like, 100%. Oh, my God. Anybody who would respond that way, imagine what they're like on the job when things don't go their way. There is occasion where somebody's genuinely wanting to know because they said, I really believe I was qualified for this. My response has been, because it's so easy to just jump back, look at their resume and send the job description and ask them to go line by line on the qualifications and tell me where they met these qualifications. And they didn't, they didn't meet any of them. It's in their imagination that they met those. You're a podcaster, Serge, so you must be able to plan media and buy media, right? No, that's how far-fetched the logic is. I agree. Kim does give feedback, but she gives feedbacks before they actually go into the interview with the client. A lot of the clients 
will not provide that feedback. And yes, a lot of candidates ask, I want really specific feedback of why I wasn't hired or considered similar to when someone breaks up with someone, they want to know why that person broke up, but they really don't want the answer because the truth is not always fits the narrative in their head of what they think they are. And it's exactly the same when it comes to feedback about the yeah. job being like, we didn't hire you because you're awful at communication. You couldn't even put a sentence together. And if you gave that feedback, it would be disastrous to that person. We don't really want the truth. We want to say that we do, but we don't. So when it comes to the nasty responses to a rejection message, what's your advice to recruiters on how to handle them? I mean, I'm talking like totally inappropriate, nasty responses. I 100% ignore it. And I go in the ATS and I make sure that I know to not have any discussions in the future if they applied or blackball in my system, because I don't want to go down that road. And that has happened to me before where I realized we didn't blackball them in the ATS. They applied for a job a month after. And I'm like, man, that name is so familiar. And I'm going through the resume. I'm like, ah, that's the dude that told us to fuck off. I don't think that type of message deserves a response at all. But I've actually had a leader. So my VP of HR, we had a really nasty one. And I'm like, you got to see this. And she felt so compelled because the person was very young, right? This was an entry level job. She decided to call that person and kind of leverage it as a mentor, being like, here are the reasons what you did were wrong. And this is how it could potentially affect you in the future because. They might have been very qualified. It's just someone was better at that particular time. And a month from now, the situation changes. We hire more. They would have been one of the first person we would have contacted. So they burnt that bridge. HR people move around a lot in their careers, maybe more now than they did in the past. You never know who you're going to come across, especially when you're doing something so vile. My advice to recruiters, just ignore it. Blackball them in the ATS. I don't know how you feel. Well, you brought up a really good point. No one should be subjected to abuse, verbal or text message, like no one. You don't have to put up with this unless, of course, you're the only HR person in the company, but you report to somebody, make sure they know and make sure that everyone in the company knows because people like this are also pretty slippery for them to try and come back and make it look like it was your fault or whatever. And when you think about how many people are coming into their careers, and for all our listeners out there, if you're in your first five years, you may have never had this happen to you. It will be interesting to see if any of our listeners come with stories. Please share it with us because we do want to talk more about this because it's happening more and more, but it's still very small. I do want to move on to the next recruitment insight. One of the things that I noticed recently using LinkedIn Recruiter is this new service that they call a diversity nudge. To be clear... It's more a gender diversity nudge than diversity in general. Here is their words on it. If gender representation in a given talent pool is unbalanced, a notification will pop up to let you know the male-female ratio of that search. You also receive recommendations of skills, locations, and company filters you can add to your search to improve the gender balance. For example, if you're hiring an electrical engineer Diversity nudges might suggest adding skills such as data analysts, analytical skills, and simulink to increase the number of women electrical engineers in your candidate search. 
they're leveraging their data, their knowledge of women in that particular sector, what skill set they're listing and giving the heads up to whoever's doing that LinkedIn recruiter search that, hey, you should include this. Before I go any further, what's your thoughts on this? It's a start. I was probably one of the first 10 customers in Canada to use LinkedIn Recruiter when it was first released. And that product hasn't changed much since 2011. No. Honestly, it hasn't. Oh, they think they're heroes because they've added another column for you to search on. This to me is kind of limp. It really is. It's their check the box. We're doing something. But there's so much more that LinkedIn could be doing in terms of improving the LinkedIn recruiter seat and the product and the results. I guess for me, it's a golf clap <laughs> for LinkedIn. I yeah, think I think this is very valuable information compared to just going in blind. If you're going to give me the triggers and some suggestions on what I need to put when I'm looking for a particular skill set, but what I'm hitting is a 100% male based on those skill sets that I've listed that I'm searching for. If you want to give me a better range and some recommendations, I think it's a fantastic start. And what I do like about it, we talk a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion. We create these plans, but we never talk about recruitment about how do we get in front of these audiences, how do we actually recruit for them? Because to diversify your company, job boards might not always be the answer, right? Because it's going to hit a certain segment. You should be actively sourcing these candidates and you should be working with the groups that focus on that particular set of candidates. There is no one right now that does outbound. Everything's focused on the inbound. I think this is a perfect start but it's just a start. At least they're doing something. Yeah. So again, it is reaching to call this maximize your approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is the quote from this announcement, right? To help businesses maximize their approach. That is a stretch if I ever (laughs) read one. Like seriously, male-female ratio isn't going to matter a hill of beans if you've got nothing but men in your engineering department who only want to hire men. That's why I called it. It's just limp. It's, yeah, golf clap. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. At least they're doing something. It's a stretch. Better than nothing. But it's less of a stretch than 99% of the HR tech vendors out there saying they have a diversity, equity, inclusion strategy. No, they just joined the ranks of everybody else throwing DE&I and saying, oh, look what we're doing. I I think it's a step above, but let's move on. One of the things we talked probably too much about, but I want to talk about pay transparency again. There was a very interesting article that went in depth and did a case study on Colorado and Utah. As you probably know, Colorado does have legislation in place that employers posting jobs in the local market have to put the pay ranges. Utah does it. So what they did is they looked at the correlation, very similar population, similar labor markets, and wanted to get an idea of what was the impact of the Colorado pay transparency. There's two key things that came out of it. If we look at the candidate side, we saw on average a labor force participation increase um, 1.5% in Colorado compared to Utah from 2020 to 2021. We also found that on average, Indeed's daily job posting fell 
8.2% in Colorado compared to Utah. That tells me a couple of different things. Job seekers love it. But what it's happening to companies, it's adding a different layer of friction. A lot of companies are putting the pay. It's just not part of what we do. And what's happened is, and this is my opinion, but I think the data backs it up, is companies stop posting jobs in Colorado, especially this is in the prime Everyone is hiring remotely. And I saw this firsthand, would post jobs in every market except Colorado because they did not want to put the pay transparency. Taking all that in account, any surprises? What's your opinion here? Do you know what's interesting is when we start to talk about pay transparency, Colorado was the first one out of the gate. Other states are following suit, New York City, not state, California and Connecticut. They've all also passed similar laws. And yet when I talk to clients about pay transparency and the fact that you need to get on the train, they still say, oh, well, there's a handful of rogue states in the U.S. And I'm like, I don't think you're really understanding the magnitude of where this is going to think that you can just poop pot and say that this is not going to become a greater law. What I loved about this research is that it's a very kind way of saying that if you want to win at the game of recruiting and hiring, then be transparent with your pay. It was shown clearly in Colorado, even though the job postings went down, people are participating that much more in the workforce. Yeah, I don't see how you can argue against that. I'm trying to imagine what somebody would say to poopaw this. Well, we've heard all the arguments. We've talked about the arguments on this podcast, and we came to the agreement that a lot of the arguments against pay transparency are complete bullshit. They're trying to create a narrative in their mind of why they shouldn't share their pay. We all know the main reason is, one, their competition would know how much they pay. But guess what? Your competition already knows. And the second one is we don't want people not to apply because for really good candidates, we're yeah. going to pay them more. Don't you want the best quality candidate? So why not put that rate? Yeah. But anyways, I think there is no turning back. The ship is going. Indeed is putting all the pay transfers. They're not going to dial this back. The legislation is not going to get dialed back. This is moving forward. So get behind it or you're fine mm-hmm. is basically the message. Yeah. Well, and you'd think in a tight labor market, which is all we hear about, good God, that you would take advantage of every little 1% here, 1% there, right? It adds up. You're really handcuffing your recruiters if you're not willing to get on this train. People will always drag their feet, right? Change is hard for people. It's like people who are still buying film for their camera. (laughs) According to you, there's a vinyl resurgence. (laughs) Yeah. Vinyl and turntable. I don't know why there is a nostalgia. I I don't know. know. It seems absolutely crazy to me. I don't get the vinyl resurgence and yeah, I don't get it either. Especially when you got the sound quality of pure digital recorded music. I don't get it either. Let's move forward. It's huge. It's huge. Okay. Great article that I want to talk about here, Serge. And we are going to be a little bit catty and poke fun at the things that drive us crazy about really bad habits of interviewers. This blog that you found, like I just cracked right up when you sent this to me, because honest to God, I swear I've had hiring leaders 
do every single one of these. And our role as talent acquisition is to help them, educate them. Why would you expect a hiring manager to know any better? But I'm just going to roll through a couple of them and just tell me if you've ever had this happen. Me smart, you stupid style of asking interview questions. And is there anything worse than the person conducting the interview? I've got all the answers. You should know this. Why don't you know this? Well, how could I possibly know that? I don't work here. (laughs) It's almost like a form of psychosis or something. It is. And this article was really based on software developers, but I think it applies to everything. Yeah. Like they're putting questions that are trying to prove how stupid the candidate is, which that's honestly, are you going to win with that? Like Exactly. The other one, and I've had this happen recently where they've got a checklist And if somebody doesn't meet everything on the list, and if you don't have the right answer, then, okay, we're moving on. Yeah. How is that even realistic? Even in schools, going right back to the sixth grade here in Canada, they decided that you now provide students with a rubric. So that rubric tells you exactly what's expected of the assignment, right? They're not giving you the answers. What this really reminds me of is a generation that was brought up on unrealistic expectations. I don't know any better. I'm going to make it unfair for you as well. The other one, being ill-prepared for the interview. Do you know how many times the hiring manager hasn't even read the candidate's resume? Or they got an interview in three minutes and they literally dash to the interview and they don't know what they're going to ask. These are the people that you're actually Googling best interview questions to ask (laughs) during the interview, not even before. And I think everyone (laughs) should listen to our episode with Lou Adler that's coming out on Tuesday because they have no clue. They haven't prepped. They don't know anything about the candidate. And they're just like, oh, I've been doing this for a year. And I think that poor planning correlates into me smart, you stupid. If you're not planning your interview you're set up to fail. If you have caught yourself Googling questions in the interview, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be interviewed (laughs) right now. Oh my God. I just can't even imagine if somebody who's in recruitment would do this. Anything on this list, Serge, that you're like, they missed one. One of the things that they called out and it seems so obvious to me is like ignoring the CV. And what I mean by that is they're not looking at the CV before and really digging deeper than go through your CV, go through your resume, which to me is a complete waste of time. I want to read the CV before, really dig in be like, okay, they've done this. I want to know more about that. Like, how did they accomplish that? Give me the details. I really want to know how you were successful and be able to accomplish that. But you don't do that unless you have really read the resume before, just going in with not reading it and then being like, run me through your resume, which you could have read in literally a minute. Just seems poor planning, bad experience for the candidates. We have talked a lot on the podcast about attraction, right? Like how do you get candidates and what should be your process? We don't talk enough about interviewing and selection. And it's something in the coming year, we're going to spend a lot more time focusing because I've come to realize how big a gap this is. What's your thoughts? Like anything big that you think was missed? Well, if we're talking about bad habits... This is a true story where I had a recruiter on my team who spent 
most of her time trying to catch candidates in a lie Mm. and goes into the interview with the approach of, I need to figure out what part of this you're lying about. Mm. I thought the day that you start doing that is, is the day you should probably get a job doing something else. And it's a recruiter doing it. You know, different story if it's a hiring leader or hiring manager who never had a single training session on how to properly conduct an interview. Imagine the candidate's experience. If you feel like you're um, under a spotlight and you're being cross-examined by a lawyer trying to trip you up, like what an awful experience that is. Is it a bad habit or is it the fact that you've got somebody doing a job who shouldn't be? I think this really falls into the HR compliance side of it that, hey, we want to make sure that everyone is 100% true in everything they're saying. And the minute that you get that cynical, you're missing out on the good things in a candidate's, yeah, bang on. And I've seen that a lot too, actually, now that you mentioned that. When it comes to interviewing, one of the elements that they talked about here, and I think we've talked a lot about, and it's not exactly in the interview process itself, is companies thinking they're the next Google. Because oh, no. Google, yes. I know what you mean. Oh, Because, well, if Google's doing it that way, we can do it that way. But what they don't realize, Google has a completely different brand approach. They can get away with it because there's thousands, if not millions of people that want to work for Google. Mr. Startup with this product that no one knows or have any clue about, you cannot do that because people will not go through your shit, even though you think you have the next Google until you prove that you're the next Google you cannot get candidates to go through eight interviews, to go through eight-hour tests, to bring them in to meet everyone in the company four times. You can't do that. A lot of companies do this, especially startups in the tech industry. I've never seen anything like it. Their I've seen it firsthand. are insane. I've seen it firsthand, honest to God. And the other great point is asking people to do presentations because you think you're Google. No, you're a startup that nobody's ever fucking heard of. Yeah. What, like a presentation? Who's the judge and jury here? <laughs> so a lot of good points at how we prepare ourselves, but also as recruiters, I think is preparing our hiring managers to be ready for interviews. And we have some responsibility on that end. Last week, we recorded the episode really early because you were going to Nashville. We usually record on Wednesdays and we record on Monday. We miss a couple of stories that became quite big. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but everyone's heard of the crying CEO. Braden Wallach had this message. This will be the most vulnerable things I'll ever share. I've gone back and forth where to post this or not. Anyways, it goes, he had to lay off some employees And then there's a picture of him. And I think I sent it to you right away because I just thought it was ridiculous. And I didn't know it was going to go viral. But the morning after I opened LinkedIn, it's all everyone was talking about was this CEO where he posted a picture of himself crying. It's fucking ridiculous. Shut the fuck up is all I have to say about this. Like, really? Because he fucked up. He did. And he admitted he fucked up. He did not plan his business. And that happens. Business is business. We're seeing a lot of companies being like, hey, we're going to grow, just hire people and not consider what the potential impact. If it doesn't work the way we want Mm -hmm. it to work, we have to lay off people. And you want to crush the soul of a company. 
do layoffs. This guy's put this picture, expects everyone to feel bad about him. I think he was expecting messages like, oh, that's okay. You did everything. This happened. The message were not like that. They were very much, what the hell? So you saw this. What's your thoughts? Well, he admitted that this was a calculated move on his part. I thought if you're looking for, you know, the old saying, any press is good press, mission accomplished because it went viral. Did he take one for the team or is he now a well-known company? And for those who want to work for CEOs that will post pictures of tears running down their face, that's appealing to them. Because if there's nothing else we've learned from your best friend, used to be my best friend, James Ellis, is that there's an employer brand for everyone. And so some people would see that as that's the guy I want to work for. He's so vulnerable. When in fact, it was a calculated move on his part for publicity because it worked. They worked. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe mm-hmm. you're right. But anyways, crying CEO. I never want to talk about that dude ever again. But <laughs> Shelly. Serge. Another wonderful episode of the mm-hmm. Recruitment Flex. And for people listening that are going to be at HR Tech, please reach out to us. We'd love to meet you while we're there. So mm-hmm. thank you, Shelly. Thank you. Have a great week. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing Business Bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.